All right. So this week on the Hit Factor podcast, we have Jeremy, Jeff, and our guest, Joel Park, who is coming on to tell us about the current uh, issues in the Capitol after last week. No, <laughs> uh-huh. no Joel, Joel is on to join us about, uh, to tell us about the new book that he has co-authored with uh, Ben Steger. Hold on. Before we get to that, Sasquatch, you didn't introduce him like as a good friend or anything like that. So how would you describe your relationship with Joel? He is in my top two favorite left-handed shooters. So does that mean he's in your bottom two left-handed shooters as well? Yes. Just perfect. That seems the other that one? seems well the only other left-handed shooter I know is Tim. Ah. Tim Myers? No, Myers is right-handed. That's what, oh, Tim Heron. Oh. Well, Joel's cooler than Tim Heron, so well, they're both Joel's short definitely and, in the top top one. They're both short and left-handed. I am not sure. How dare you? <laughs> Sorry, Joel is of average height for like pygmies or something. How tall are you, Joel? Uh what, five ten? 510? You're not short. Yeah. Screw these guys. Uh, Joel is not 510. I am too. <laughs> I would I would have guessed 5'8. Oh, all right, whatever. Uh no, I think I'm 510, but okay. Jeff, how tall are you? I'm 5'11 and change. Is that have you remeasured since you've been bald? Uh yeah. I had a, a health check at work the other day. Okay. Yes, I am legit 5'11. Screw you guys who are over six foot. You mean man-sized. Mm. Okay, more okay. importantly, Joel, let's get into a little bit. Uh, what is the title of your new book, and how soon can people expect to find it? Man, uh, already with the tough questions. Uh, it's called Practical Shooting Training. And uh, I actually, uh, as of today when we were recording this, actually Ben uh, uploaded the proof to... Amazon and uh, I have a physical copy on the way to me, the approved copy that I hope to have later this week. And then if that looks cool, we just hit let's go and it'll be uh, available in the marketplace in like a day or so. So very soon. Nice. Right, so this one, this podcast will drop uh, Wednesday the 13th. Oh, perfect. Okay. So yeah, you probably have a few more days, but soon. All right. So this one uh, kind of has a little bit of a different format from. Uh, the past books that uh, Ben has uh, wrote. Kind of break it down for us, the uh, the idea behind this one. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I mean, like, we all train a lot. So the the big difference with this book is it has, it introduces levels. Level one through four, which is based on your skill level. So think about if you take someone, one of your coworkers to the range, and they want to shoot USPSA, you'd have way different corrections you'd give them compared to like if us four went to the range, the corrections you'd be giving each other would be way different. And then maybe you had somebody who was just getting ready to make B class. That would be a different correction yet. So it, it breaks shooters into skill levels and then it gives appropriate corrections based on that point in their shooting career, their experience and their skill level. If that makes sense. How's a person supposed to know what level they are? Because I've never met a person that didn't think they were like already a level four. I know. Well, it's also assessing for honesty <laughs> because you're not doing yourself any favors. If you're, uh, you know, if you're new to shooting a handgun and you put yourself at the highest level, some of the concepts may be a bit advanced and not making sense to you. So uh, there's a clear set of, I guess, criteria that would be what would what would 
classify you for each level. So level one is uh, you're basically just want to shoot a match penalty free. You're new to competition shooting where to get started. Level two goes up to B class. So you understand how the gun operates. Maybe shot a few matches, but now it's time to get to B class. Level three is up to M or GM. And then level four is, you know, competitive excellence. The guy wanting to win nationals, training to win an area match, that kind of stuff. And so again, uh, the corrections build and get more, the expectations for the shooter change based on where they are. Um, the other thing that's uh, interesting about this book or different is the corrective diagrams. So uh, teaching classes for a while, like I'll be real with you. So if I teach the same type of class, the same curriculum, let's say I teach it that class twice a month, more than likely students are going to have the same fundamental issues. They are going to display it in maybe varying degrees where, hey, somebody's not clamping down hard enough with their support hand. They're pushing down on the gun. I mean, whatever. More than likely, people kind of, you keep seeing the same trends uh, for mistakes over and over again. And so we kind of took the guesswork out of that with the book and actually built corrective diagrams that show more than likely what your target will look like. So if you're looking through the book, you're like, oh, my target looks like this. This is what the diagram shows more than likely, you know, X, Y, Z, that's what's causing it. So it makes it a little bit easier to diagnose your own shooting also was the hope. So am, am I going to use this book in live fire or dry fire or? Good question. It's a live fire and a dry fire book, both. So some people think, uh, you know, oh, I'm just going to dry fire. Oh, I'm just going to live fire. And they kind of separate the two. Whereas the book is just training. Some you're going to do with ammo. Some we're going to do without. You could go beyond an actual perfectly good shooting range and doing dry fire because that's what would be most beneficial for that drill. You're probably one of the first ones I really heard talking about it as far as, you know, dry fire on the range. And I think that is probably going to be something that more people try in the next year with how hard it is to get supplies currently. How do you utilize dry fire when you're on the range? Uh, break it down for us. Give us an example. Say you're going to shoot accelerator. Sure. So accelerator, you think, we'll just think about it fundamentally. When you're holding on to the gun, the thing's probably loud. Uh, it's recoiling. You got a lot to hang on to. The sights are flipping all over the place. There's a lot going on. So by not shooting ammunition and just watching the sights, you could also learn things. Uh, for instance, how you're pushing the gun, how you're transitioning the gun. Uh, accelerator specifically, um, if you're going to have a problem with that drill, normally it's going to be the middle target because people sweep through the target where they don't really stop the gun moving, stand up with like a Charlie on each side of the alpha, or maybe they use too much muscle and they, they snap the gun over there really hard and it ends up going too far, or not far enough, whatever. So if you just draw the gun and watch how the gun tracks and how it's stopping on each target, or if it is stopping, that would actually tell you a lot about your target transition, where it's going. If you draw the gun, you smash the first target, you whip the gun over to the middle target, and then you whip the gun to the far target when you're shooting live ammo. Like, well, I don't know. Like I had two Charlies, in the middle target, like maybe I should slow down and get my hits. I don't really know. But instead, if you just unload the gun, you do it dry, you would see, Hey, I'm really pushing the gun hard. I can tell the gun's always going too far. It's stopping on the, the far side of the target or, you know, whatever. So anyway, you can learn a lot by not firing ammo. And in some cases it's kind of a waste of time to shoot ammo. So I've got kind of an interesting question with that. Have you ever messed with dry fire and live fire on the same run? So let's say that like 
yeah, that middle target was the problem. So then you go through and maybe you fire the first two shots and then dry fire the, the next, you dry fire the next four shots. And then the next run, maybe you dry fire the first two shots and the middle target, you actually fire on that and then dry, and then dry the last two shots or, and then dry fire the first four shots and actual live fire the 25 yard target. Have you ever messed with that? I haven't. Uh, I suppose you could. The issue would be, I guess, are the dry fire you actually pressing the trigger? Because you know, with a with an auto loading pistol, it'd be you'd have to have a way to be able to actually pull the trigger on an empty chamber, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I I guess it would still be basically similar to uh, what you do in dry fire normally after you've pulled the trigger the first time. Oh yeah, you could do that. Sure. I I could see what you mentioned, like using accelerators, an example. Still though is let's say you're having trouble on the center target, dragging across it. So maybe you shoot the first two rounds on the first target and you're just getting your sight picture on the next target or the next two targets. Like that's an interesting idea. Sure. Uh, Or another thing is sometimes with dry fire, I mean, think about it. If you're in your, in your basement or your dry fire area or whatever, it's really easy to treat the gun differently when you know it's not loaded. Right. Because uh, if I don't hang on to it hard enough, whatever, uh, so I like alternating between live and dry fire runs on the range because when you do it with real live ammo, like you have to hang on to the thing. It's kicking, it's making noise, all this stuff. But when you're doing dry fire, uh, if you don't, it doesn't really penalize you as much. So if you alternate between those two, it constantly keeps in your brain how the gun felt when it recoiled. Uh, then you'll see sometimes when somebody goes to do it dry the next run, completely the gun unloaded, pull it, you know, you pull the trigger hammer falls and they push down on the gun or, you know, you see some of those marksmanship issues really slap you in the face where uh, maybe you wouldn't notice that as much. If you had live ammo, you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't, you know, feel your firing hand tensing up as the whole gun dives. If you're right-handed down into the left, that kind of thing. Is the, is this book, is it just like progression of, of drills and whatnot, or is it like an actual uh, plan? Well, so it's not so much like a gym plan. Like some people want to be told what to do. There are different drills that are selected for each skill level. For instance, if you're familiar with Wanchik's go stop drill, that's not somebody I would have a level one person do. Like, that's not the issue. Just like, hey, go to this pot, hit the targets. Let's just work on doing a stage. But as you get better in skills, the drills that we're having you do are more demanding, tougher to execute, and they're working on different things. The other reason we chose specific drills for each level was not so much like, hey, I want this drill in there, but it's what's the drill trying to teach you. So, for instance, uh, shooting on the move is not something I would have a B-class shooter. Like, that's not really going to make or break their game is teaching them to shoot on the move. But a level four person needs to be pretty strong at that or uh, shooting, entering a position. Uh, if they're just starting out like a level one person, I'm not going to have them mess with that. Like, just be safe. Go to the spot when you get there, you know, shoot the targets. So the drills change based on levels uh, because the drills are more complex and, uh, you know, the skill we want the person to work on. Right. Okay. So you may have already said this, but I missed it. So how does a person know if they're, if they're going through this book, say they start at level one, how do they know when they're supposed to go to level two? Yeah, it gives, it gives a clear explanation. So if you're just starting out your level one, B class is level two, M or GM level three. Uh, and then, like, the guy winning an area match, nationals, whatever, be a level four guy. I got you. What if you win an area match, but it's in single stack? Level two. What if it's revolver, though? Level one. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and see the beauty of it is like there's no really right or wrong you can do what you want but obviously the expectations uh, are going to change so if you're a level two person in level three some of the concepts it's going to be and the time limits because some of the drills have time limits or a hit factor so that's going to be you know maybe a bit too demanding and something you're not quite able to make is it fair to say this book is kind of a replacement for both the previous dry fire and live fire manuals or is it supplementary to those no no absolutely it replaces them just because over over time you know like you keep changing uh we keep ben and i i mean i teach normally before all this ammo garbage shortages i was teaching like two classes a week you see so many different people and then you kind of just learn more efficient ways to teach people uh the best most efficient drills to have people learn what you you know want them to learn sorry jeremy i didn't mean to cut you off oh no problem (laughs) (laughs) no so i mean ben has come out with a with a lot of a lot of books so if i mean if everybody's if somebody's bought all of they read all of ben's material before this do they need to buy the book or do they have it covered in what in what ben's done before this uh there are some new drills the times have also changed um i mean i'll be real with you like if it's even like a book that i have something to do with or not if if you're at like the level you guys are at anybody like writes a book that's about shooting that i might even remotely be interested i just buy it just because i like knowing what everybody else is doing and what could i possibly learn what could i possibly take away so I do think, even if you've read everything Ben's written up till now, I think there are some really good takeaways. Again, I'm probably biased, I suppose, since I helped with it. But um, I, I mean, I buy everybody's stuff just because I like, you know, kind of a geek about this stuff and I want to learn as much as I can. What Joel is saying is please buy this book so that he doesn't become homeless because he's going to make millions of dollars off of it. Yeah, well, I, otherwise I won't be able to pay my cell phone and I'll, I'll be out on the streets probably, yes. He's got more duct tape artwork to buy too. <laughs> That's true. You're such a hater. For people who so this so our our podcast is not video uh so for the listeners which there's all audio listeners Joel has a fantastic piece of artwork for him that whenever he first logged on I thought he just had a wall with the like it was using duct tape to hold it up but now it's zoomed out and I can see the, I can see the art behind him it's probably that like 5 megs per second internet you got out there in Texas wherever that would yeah, probably like, that would probably like be fast for what I probably have. I, he's like cows mooing and stuff, like going around outside your little shed. So. That is not that is a hundred percent accurate. Yeah, well, at least you guys have electricity now, so that's we cool. do. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it gets shut off every you know every once in a while. And so we get, still got to use the outhouse. It's kind of yeah, cold this time of year. It. We got snow on the ground right now. So do it's, you have a two seater though? Uh, sometimes when it's not clogged up. Oh, okay. Right now we're at a single. It needs to get cleaned up. <laughs> can't even imagine that would be awful that would be pretty bad (laughs) that would be pretty bad it's uh it's too bad we didn't have jason on tonight since he was talking shit about joel last week who's jason i like jason (laughs) really no he was he was talking crap to my face just like an hour ago in call of duty so you know so we can't we can't see joel when we're playing call of duty but i'm pretty sure we make him blush frequently Uh, maybe shake my head (laughs) you guys do like the crazy talk it is quite fun though all right so the reason that we had to have joel on is we're all currently low cap shooters but joel is starting to venture away from the low cap life a little bit and playing with a carry optics gun some that i've seen yeah so what i think would be interesting being that you come from pretty much 100 production in your time in the sport 
what is what do you think is the thing that shooting carry optics a little bit has taught you or like the first aha moment you had with it hmm um I thought you were going to say what my favorite thing is. My favorite thing is when you do stage plans, I just pick out all the targets I want to shoot, and I just shoot them in any order. That part's pretty awesome. Um, I don't know that I've had anything too crazy. Well, I guess, okay. So one interesting aha moment, I suppose, is uh, I normally shoot a Tanfolio stock two. So uh, basically a double action limited gun in nine millimeter is normally what I shoot. And I'm shooting a Glock 34. That, I mean, it's got some springs, whatever, but it's and grip tape, but it's it's just a Glock 34. The thing that it kind of reminds me of is shooting is shooting. If I just grip that thing properly and press the trigger straight, the bullets go where I want them to go. And I, I mean, I like the Tanfolio a lot, but I actually shoot this gun really well too. Are, are you telling me the gun is not that important that you should just pick one you like and shoot it? No, you need a Reed Custom 1911. Mm-hmm. Everything else is inferior or a Canic. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, or a you, CZ. You were right no. there for a second. <laughs> you, you, just, forgot, oh, okay. just, you forgot about the new FN. Oh, oh yeah, the new FN. I saw that I mean, on the interwebs. A fifteen hundred dollar, oh, yeah. a fifteen hundred dollar plastic pistol has to be amazing, dude. I'm sure, it's cool. That thing looks hot. Jeff hot. is definitely going to be rocking that <laughs> for the twenty twenty one shooting season. Yeah, that thing looks hot. So, yeah, uh, it's also been really fun messing around with the dot. So vision is super important, regardless of shooting iron sights or a dot. And with iron sights, I do shoot target focus just due to ease. So it doesn't matter now. Uh, Originally, I was doing like a front sight focus for more difficult shots. And now it doesn't matter if it's 25 yard, 50 yard shooting, whatever it's at. I just target focus. I bring the sights to where I look. The irons, obviously, they're going to be blurry, but I care about the relationship for the front to the rear, making sure the alignment's correct, you know, and then pressing the trigger carefully, whatever. Uh, the dot's been fun because I just look at a spot, the dot shows up, and uh, it honestly just makes things a lot easier. So, like, obviously, it, it make, makes sense why people shoot it faster. Um, and the other thing that's fun is learning different terminology to, you know, like to teach people in classes, like a streak, a blur, a crisp dot, painting the target. You can kind of have fun with <laughs> words, but it's an easy way to describe to somebody, you know, like, oh, just paint the target or whatever. You, you talking about that reminded me this uh, weekend we were shooting a local match and one of my friends just got a carry optics pistol and he's like he's like so I'm trying to figure out how much to steady the dot for the target so I just like <laughs> I held out my hands I'm like okay if your aiming zone is this wide make sure the dots between there while it's still moving if it's if mm-hmm. it's more narrow make sure the dots are there while it's still moving he's like but how much do I steady it like within the area you want to hit that's it like mm-hmm. no more complicated no totally so I mean I don't know how many like matches and stuff you've shot with your seal gun but i assume a a decent amount of at least practice and stuff do you feel that you're Mm -hmm. learning that it has been valuable at least when you go back to a limited capacity gun because when you're shooting higher capacity got 24 rounds in a gun you it to be competitive you have to blend positions more whereas with the low Mm -hmm. cap gun you're throwing a reload in between positions so blending them is really maybe not as high a priority uh because you're doing a reload and so you've got kind of time to do that do you feel that that has been a skill like that shooting carry optics has benefited your production shooting because it's forced you to do more of that? I don't think so. Honestly, I know everybody like thinks maybe you're going to work on one thing to make another. I think just being better at shooting overall, just anytime I'm shooting a gun and thinking about shooting and studying, you know, stages and all that stuff, I do think matters. I don't think buying that guns really made me any better at production. 
but it's like that new girlfriend syndrome where I've always got that stupid thing in my hand. I'm dry firing that thing all the time because it's just fun. It's something new. And I'm walking around the house and like, you know, just constantly dry firing that gun, I suppose. So that's fun because otherwise it was my stock too. It'd be like, well, now I'm done with dry fire. Now I'll go do something else. But instead of with that Glock, I'm like, oh man, I'll go mess with this a little bit more. And I'm, you know, waiting for the oven to preheat. So I'm dry firing that, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So I do think that's good just because it gets you excited about shooting and it's something different to train with. But I don't really think that it's like made me any better at irons necessarily. Okay. Uh, my main goal with doing it was just being more effective at teaching. Sure. Because like I said, I see a lot of people with dots uh, in class. The other thing, if I could add, uh, one of the problems we see with dots a lot in class, or even if you watch people like uh, Sasquatch, your buddy shooting, you notice how people like tunnel in really hard on the dot and they like, they live their whole life, that small little tube. So like if it was a three to nine scope, they basically just turn it up to nine power and then whatever they see, they just like move that little window. So a trick I learned from Wanchik actually was putting a a paster over the front of the lens. I don't know if you guys have seen that trick at all or not basically putting a, a paster over this side. So then you have to shoot with both eyes open and then you have to like look at the spot and you can't live your life living through that little tunnel. So that was something I did on my gun also that I thought was really valuable that I, you know, I guess just learned from. So I can't remember if I learned that from Wanzik or saw it somewhere else first, but uh, last year Matt was talking to me after practice and he was having trouble switching to the dots. Like when he first started shooting carry optics and I was like, well, hey, try this. Put a paster on the front of your dot. It shoot a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they call me back and tell me what you see. He's like, that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I don't know if either of you guys have ever tried it with a dot. But basically, if you focus in on a dot, you don't see anything. If you look at the target, the dot shows up and you don't notice the paster or the tape or whatever's on the front of your dot. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. I mean, I've never, I don't, I haven't ever competed with a dot. So can they put dots on antiques? <laughs> use jb weld i suppose you could you could i mean get one of those really sweet looking dovetail mounts yeah the jb weld won't hold been there tried that yeah oh baby uh but no i mean anybody listening to this i think it's quite helpful and the like the giveaway if you're watching somebody shoot you can see even their posture changes and they really you could tell they really focus in really hard on that that small little window of their optic so if you haven't tried that before i think it's really really a good idea to try so with your experience so far uh, from shooting irons to playing with the dot, would you say the, say the average shooter in USPSA is probably B class. Do you think they would have any value picking up a dot gun to train with? I honestly, I mean, I suppose everybody's a little bit different. I really don't. I think the biggest, uh, I should know is probably like contrary to what most people would think the biggest people i think when people pick up like a carry optics gun is they think man this is so much easier i can shoot it so much faster because now i have a red dot but the thought that doesn't occur to them is everyone else shooting your division they have 24 rounds in their gun and they have a red dot too so the fact that you can shoot it faster well yeah so can everybody else but you know if you have vision problems or you just like the gun like this glock like i was telling you guys before we started recording i just like it it's just fun to mess around with i'm going to the range with my friend Kenny this week, that's the gun I'm taking because I, I just want to shoot it. It's fun. Well, I think uh, you know, carry optics has obviously exploded. And I think a big part of the reason is that you know, the dot makes it easier to hit stuff. And it shoots mm-hmm. nine millimeter and it holds lots of bullets. So for the average shooter, it's more enjoyable because they see a 20-yard mini popper and they know they can hit it because they just put the dot on there and pull the trigger. Where with irons, yeah, totally. they might struggle. And there's nothing worse than like a standing, re- like 
being in the front of the group and then doing a standing reload with all your squad mates standing back there watching. And carry optics guns are cheap because they could get all I that with open, but it's expensive, right? No one has, no one can afford open. No. Open guns are just, I think they're like violent and tough on the guns too. So yeah, these are nice just because it's an inexpensive gun. So I was looking, I was looking over the, the book. Yeah. And, uh, looks cool. I mean, obviously I didn't get to read it much, but, um, so what it looks like is it has like, I don't know if it has a lot of the same drills or if it has all the same drills. Uh, but some of the sections had some of the same drills, but it, it progresses in what it tells you to focus on or the, the same drill just make it more difficult. So it's like it, the, the same drill you can shoot for the entirety of your shooting career, but you progress in how you shoot it. Yes, very observant. And then it's also a good like metric to tell that you're getting better also. Because if you keep shooting, let's say you shot Accelerator, you know, a one practice session a month or every other month, whatever, and you do that for a year, you would be able to tell you're getting better also because you would see your results getting better. Probably the cues that you use or your focus on the drill would change. So that's also encouraging to tell that you're getting better. Yeah, that's cool because I think a lot of people struggle with that. You know, they they shoot and they might make it to, to A class or maybe even M class and you see a lot of people plateau there and it's because they're shooting these drills and they don't know how to make, like there's only so many drills, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They don't know how to progress in the drill. They don't, they don't know how to make that drill keep working for them. So that's pretty cool. I like it. Totally. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Uh, I think also some people don't know how to read their own targets too. Yeah. That, that takes a bit of experience, I suppose. And the, the goal behind the book also was, you know, teaching you how to read your targets. So when you look at it, and you're uh, right-handed, you know, and the bullets are all going low left. Like, oh, it's probably my firing hand clamping down. Or if you're getting a, like, they're, you know, the pattern's all over the target. It looks like a shotgun pattern. Maybe you need to pick a more precise aiming scheme or, you know, whatever the case is. The kind of teaching you how to analyze what results you're getting in practice because, you know, knowledge is key. Yeah. Knowing staff the battle, all that stuff. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I might, I might even read it. Perfect. Well, the price was right, so yeah. <laughs> Does it have lots of pictures? There are quite a few. There's yes, quite a few. Yeah. You've had a copy for like probably three weeks, sir. I know. I just, I just want you to clarify that for the oh, sorry, for people like Jeff that maybe like they need the pictures to describe things because. But let me let me clarify what Jeremy is saying. Jeremy asked the question <laughs> if it had pictures, so he could make fun of me. That's that's what just happened. I wouldn't. Oh, okay. I wouldn't make fun of your 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 illiteracy like that openly. That would be that would be mean and hateful. You guys are overcomplicating this. If you read the book and have any issues understanding it, Joel's cell phone number is four zero two. How dare you, sir? That'd have been fantastic. <laughs> would have been better is if you had given the number out and it was actually Ben's number. That would have been even better. <laughs> and Ben Ben gets all these calls. Is this Joel? <laughs> I'd like to see his response to that. Like the area code might give it away, but you never know. Yeah. But anyway, I'm excited. I think it'll be uh, helpful, I hope. The other thing I think is going to be interesting for people, because I do think people, like the, we have the classification system, but we all kind of know that's a bit broken. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily always, co- I mean, it somewhat works, but doesn't. Um, it sounds like this book may be a pretty good idea for people to have a more realistic view of where they actually are in their shooting. 
Maybe they think I should be competing for a national title and they open the book up and they can barely make the level three times, right? So maybe that, that might be a good bump for them to realize, okay, maybe I'm not as good as I am and I need to buckle down on some stuff that I thought I was good enough at and maybe I'm not good enough at it. Uh, and maybe the other is true. Maybe somebody thinks that, oh, I'm not good enough to compete with the top guys and maybe they actually can compete with the top guys um, kind of based on some of those times that are in there. No, that's a really good point. Absolutely. Joel, since you do instructing, obviously, if people are interested in reaching out to you for a training class, where can they reach you? Uh, I have a website, Midwest Competitive Shooting. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. So let me know. I don't haven't. Uh, I'm actually starting to travel, I guess, this year for classes. I'm teaching some classes with Ben Steger, which will be awesome. So I've already got several out of uh, state classes booked. So if you want me to uh, come to you for training, send me an email. Where do they email you at? What's your email address? Uh, it's foxj66 at <laughs> gmail.com. <laughs> no, there's a contact us on the website. Yeah, if you if you if you email that, you will get a nude picture of Joel signed. <laughs> no, there's a contact us on my website if you want to do that. You're just a big hairy American winning machine. <laughs> Something like that. All right, so uh, we officially got our first negative review on the podcast here recently uh, i saw that which is did you leave that did you leave that review joel no of course you? not i like you i like i like to listen to your podcast i like your podcast we don't uh-huh. we don't actually know who it is just because the name is doesn't give an actual name but uh they seem a little triggered which is I, i'm happy like if you want to leave negative uh reviews please do so Go ahead and put five stars there. Like you can, you can put mm-hmm. five stars and then say as many. We'll still see the bad stuff you say about <laughs> us, but you can put five stars. You don't have to be mean and put two stars. But this person might be a little bit triggered. I don't know. Uh, so the comment says, "Jay Beal only live fired a couple thousand rounds and finished great." Ben said in his book that just shooting isn't the key. You guys and other brag about shooting thirty k plus a year. Seems like Jay and Ben got it right. So. Jeff, why are you laughing? I, so, it's just it's hilarious. That's why I'm laughing. Why I, is I, it funny? I want to point out the first part there. I I think maybe the message in our last podcast was probably missed a little bit because it, unless I am remembering incorrectly, we were essentially talking about what to do with limited ammo or how it's going to affect the sports no. and, or how it's no, going to affect you the guys, sport. You guys were bragging. About how you weren't going to be limited at all next year. That's what well, happened. Okay, that's what so happened. I I apologize that we prepared ahead of time. Assholes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what, Jeff? Those primers I told you you could have—they're no <laughs> longer—they're no longer available. I'm oh, actually just—I'm actually just going to drop them in a jar of oil and send you a picture of it. Imagine that. What? No, the best thing to do, actually, Jared, would be to. Go ahead and pull the primers out and spray some oil in it and then send it to him and let him oh. load up like 2,000 rounds on his 550 <laughs> and then none of them will go off. That would be the best way to do it. That would be that would be terribly mean. But the, the point I would make, though, is I think overall we were we were pretty much discussing like, you know, that you can get a lot done with a lot less rounds on the last podcast. And I think the message might have been maybe it was missed. Maybe we got off topic. I don't know. But you absolutely don't have to shoot 
50,000 rounds to be good at the sport. I mean, you did quite well last year and you shot what, like 12 or 15,000 or something? Somewhere around 15. Yeah. And even like for people that are going to be more limited this year, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say for myself, there is plenty of rounds that I shoot during the year that I'm just shooting. There's zero training value in it, but I just enjoy shooting. And I also shoot a lot because I shoot a ton of local matches because we have like seven or eight a month pretty much throughout the year. What's what's your take on this, Joel? Uh, well, so like I said, I think there are some things that you have to fire live ammo. So if I want to work on, I don't know, uh, target transitions, I could learn a lot without firing any ammo at all. Just moving the gun from spot to spot, not even pressing the trigger and just watching how the sights stop, noticing, you know, if I'm muscling the gun or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want to work on gun handling, like four aces. And I want to work on drawing the gun, getting a like, right grip, work on mag changes. I don't really need any ammo for that. What do I think predictive shooting, uh, I could do at 15 yards? Like, uh, I don't know. I need to shoot ammo to find out. Uh, by the way, predictive shooting would be due to try- prior training experience. If you grip the gun properly, pressing the trigger twice, basically with one sight picture, and being able to predict where the rounds are going compared to reactive shooting, which would be uh, like I watch the sights, I press the trigger, sight lifts. And then I confirm a second sight picture before I press the trigger. So anyway, there's some drills. You just have to shoot live ammo to know how the gun's going to recoil, where your bullets are going to go, what you can get away with. Um, but there's some stuff you don't have to, or like movement drills or, you know, whatever. Position entry and exit. You could run there really hard and see how your, you know, sights appear on the target, how you're stopping, whatever. So how far do you think you can progress in those skills with 5,000 rounds? Well, you could be a death stalker on gun handling. Uh, you could be a death stalker on transitioning the gun to the, the correct spot. I mean, the, the skills that it takes to shoot, like that you have to shoot. On only 5,000 rounds? Yeah. Like how far could you progress if, if all you had every year was 5,000 rounds? I think you'd be a mercenary. I think you would wreck everyone at your club for sure. Hell yeah. If you were dry, dry training with a high level of intensity, you know, and you, you treat it like, I mean, I'm, I'll put words in your mouth, but from like listening to your podcast, you guys treat shooting like a part-time job. Well, maybe not Jeff, but (laughs) Jared at least does. But like, I'm talking to Jared. He's like, oh yeah, I'm leaving work. I'm heading to the range. What are you up to? Oh, I'm getting ready to dry fire. You know, something you're always working on your craft, trying to improve your skill. So if you, you know, worked on it with that level of intensity and you just, when you fired the rounds, it was with very specific things, not going out to shoot because it makes you feel good or because you like it. But because, and I, I mean, I do that. I'll be real with you. Like this week, it's it's cold out anyway. I'm just going to the range to shoot because it's fun. I'm going to go hang out with my friend Kenny and just shoot because I, I love it. I'm not even going to try to necessarily accomplish anything. But if you had a fixed ammo budget and you're really trying to get good, then picking specific drills, working on them in dry training, going to the range to validate what you're, you know, getting for results. Yeah, you'd absolutely wreck everyone at your club. You might not win at nationals, but you'd be pretty good. My only concern would be like if you only had 5,000 rounds for the entire year, and say you live somewhere where it was warm year round, like even if you only shot one club match a month, like half of your ammo is mm-hmm. going only to matches. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, personally, I, I think if you, I would at least want to be up in like the 10,000 range so you could shoot on a little more frequent basis. But yeah. You know, with, with you know, this year's going to be probably a weird year. But I don't, I think, I think a person can go a long ways on 10,000 rounds if they use it smartly. And part of that would be, you know, don't shoot 
a local every weekend, you know, use some of that ammo for practice. Yeah. Jeremy. So I, I do think maybe the guy was a little bit misunderstood. And when he termed that we were bragging about shooting 30,000 rounds a year, uh, I, I mean, for me, you if were, it ca- we're bragging. You, you think so? I, 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 it I, doesn't I, matter. I, I think we, I think we might have been shitting on Jeff a little bit. Yeah, I would say, I would say more in reference in trying to to make Jeff feel worse about himself, which is impossible. But impossible. Uh, yeah, but you know, maybe at that point where, yeah, kind of rubbing it in his face. Yeah, we shoot a lot, and he shoots like fifteen thousand rounds. Um, but like, okay, so like we had the Travis Tomasi interview, which maybe maybe this guy heard or didn't, but. You know, the year that he won nationals, he was in the AMU, but he said he only shot like 8,000 rounds that year. Um, so so on the on the surface, you might think, okay, yeah, there's this guy. You don't need – he won nationals. He only shot 8,000 rounds. So you really need to shoot 8,000 rounds a year to win nationals. Well, the truth is Tomasi had one of the best skill sets in the country. He had, he had finished second, I think, at least four times before that and had shot gobs of ammo before that to develop the skill set. And so, yeah, then that year when he was he wasn't able to train like he wanted to, as far as shooting live ammo, he still had a lot of focused practice to where he already had the skill set there developed. The guy mentioned a Ben Steggert. If anybody knows Ben, Ben shoots a lot of ammo. Like it's not that he like he is not shooting a small amount of ammo. I've had conversations with them that for me, I felt that really that kind of transition point for me where it was. 25 to 30,000 rounds. After, once I went over that, then the the gains from it were very minimal um, from shooting more. It was more of a familiarity than it was a skill gaining. But up to that 25 and 30,000 rounds was very beneficial to training hard and being as prepped as possible coming into big matches. You look at the greatest shooters in our sport, you look at a Rob Latham, like I don't know how many millions of rounds he has shot you look at an Eric Grafell, who is the greatest action pistol shooter ever. I know if, at least, well, this is what I had heard uh, and heard him say is on a normal year, he's shooting 100,000 rounds a year. And on a world shoot year, he might shoot up to a quarter million rounds a year. So, yeah, you can say that that, that it can, you can perform at a high level without shooting a lot of rounds. Yes. But do you think you're going to beat the Ben Steggers and the Eric Grafells of the, of the world just through dry fire? I'm sorry, but the answer is no, because because they are doing the dry fire and they're doing the physical fitness and they're they're shooting matches and they're shooting gobs of ammo. And so can you get really good? Can you develop a really killer skill set through dry fire and, and shooting mental number of rounds a year? Yes. Are there going to be people that are doing that same work you are that then do more by shooting more ammo? Yes. And your chances of beating them are... I mean, that's going to be really tough, in my opinion. So for me, like I see a lot of people in this sport, and they like to brag about how good they are with minimal amount of input. Oh, I got this good, and I only fired five thousand rounds this year, and I still made GM. Or I've only been shooting this line, and I'm and I did this. And for me personally, I want to do everything I can to eliminate any excuse I have. So if that means I need to spend more money and and shoot more live ammo, then I'm going to do that. I don't want to go into nationals and be like. Oh, well, I placed okay because I only shot this much. Now I want to go into nationals and think, okay, I did everything I possibly could to do as well as I could at this match. And so that's, for me, that's a bit of the motivation and the number of rounds that I shoot. Well, and like as the other party here that shoots quite a bit, you know, 
with where I live, we have an indoor match that non-COVID times is every Tuesday. Well, there will be a hundred rounds that I'll shoot fifty weeks out of the year. So there's five thousand rounds right off the top. Yeah. Is there much? Is there much value in that ammo? Probably not. But the real value there is it's fun for me. It, I get to go hang out with my buddies, and half the year it's getting dark by the time I get home from work. So it's it's a reason to be out of the house when you otherwise would be sitting at home playing PlayStation like I have been for the last couple of months. And, and the other side of that is uh, with where I'm at, there's a lot of major matches within a reasonable distance, plus a handful of matches like nationals and an area match or something that I'll fly to. But you could pretty much count, if you're going to go shoot a major match, I mean, it's going to be at least 300 rounds of use. So if you shoot 10 major matches, there's going to be another 3,000 rounds gone. And then figure probably 20 locals during the year. Oh, there's another 4,000 rounds. Like before I even account for any practice, there's 12,000 rounds shot. So if I was in a position where I needed to restrict back, like I probably would not shoot every Tuesday match. And I would probably cut out a few of the major matches that were less important to me and use that ammo for practice. Yeah. I also, and I also think like if you have access to shoot, you have access and ability to shoot 30,000 rounds in a year, who doesn't want to do that? But I, I would still contend you're not going to beat the guys that are winning nationals on 10,000 rounds a year. Not in the, not in the, the highly contested divisions. It's it's not going to happen unless unless you've already put gobs of training in ahead of time. Yeah, and it depends on their goals because maybe that person shooting ten thousand rounds a year. I mean, I'll be real with you. There was a, a a time where I thought just winning my division at my club match would be a really cool thing to do. So yeah. if that's somebody's goal and they want to train, I would really you know there's some heat at my club. I would really like to win my division at my club. That's a cool goal too. So I think it's just kind of perspective and what you want to get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. That is a, that is a very important thing. I think probably any of us at one time were like, we started shooting and we're like, man, I really want to win my division. Then, then you win your division a few times. And you're like, I want to win this match overall. Then you win a match overall. Then you're like, you know, I want to win a section match. And it just, it progresses. You, you set a new goal when you meet an old goal. Yep. I have a lot of people, even that, I mean, I've taken classes more than once where they really like training. They like shooting. It's not to the part-time job level. It's something fun to do on the weekends. They're busy throughout the week. And so, yeah, like they want to get instruction. They want to be better, but they have, you know, a job, kids, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. They they aren't going to train that level. It doesn't matter. Maybe money's not even the limiting factor. So it's just kind of, you know, whatever your goals are. And as long as you're, sounds so cheesy, as long as you're happy with what you're doing, that's all that matters. I would I would venture to guess for most people playing the game at a serious enough level where they're traveling like nationals and stuff, they're probably biggest constraint is probably going to be time over ammo. Because if, if you're hand loading, what's nine millimeter, like probably 10 cents around or so. I haven't added it up recently. Well, recently it's way worse than that, but well, yeah, normal times. But I mean, realistically, you're probably talking like an extra hundred bucks a month in ammo costs, like to shoot an extra 15,000 rounds or close to it. So it's probably the time in normal times is going to be everyone's biggest constraint. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my one comment on on this scathing review we received is (laughs) 
don't uh, don't mistake an anomaly or an exception as the rule. Just because one person happened to do it and did well, that's one person. That's one person. So don't don't think you can do it because you probably can't. Oh, burn! Jeff is throwing the gauntlet down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jeff, I was I was going to cut back to fifteen thousand rounds this year so I can also get third at nationals. You definitely should cut back. <laughs> you seen how? Have you seen how bad I am with as much as I shoot? I probably need more. Yes, I have. <laughs> we need more ammo. We should start a GoFundMe. Yeah. Level up Sasquatch, please yeah. donate. Yeah. Level and, and, up and, Sasquatch. That would be pretty cool. And Joel will come up here and run my press for me. And Jeff will come up here and run the five fifty because he's used to it. By run your press, you mean you and I can play video games. I'll hit the button for go, and then we'll just stop playing video games whenever it runs out of components. Sounds like an okay weekend. Now Joel's coming on here and bragging about reloading presses. Gonna, no, that's gonna Jared's get, press, not me. Gonna get another, get us another review. Oh, great, yeah. There's definitely now. <laughs> now we're gonna hear about auto drives and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I want to be completely clear on one thing. Like in the position I am in now, I would not buy an auto drive today when i bought that i traveled all the time for work like i was gone a hundred plus nights a year so being able to load stuff extremely quickly was much more important do you only have one auto drive (laughs) (laughs) peasant well well sometimes sometimes i have two sometimes a a buddy is trying to get into reloading and i'm like yeah come over here and i'll show you how to use the 550 and i'll get them (laughs) to load on it well, my well, my ten fifty running. I load on a square deal. Those are good, right? A rock chucker. It's the rock chucker is the most efficient machine that you can use. I've got one of those. That's what I load rifle on. They're good for that. Things excellent. They're great for that. No, I got sick of changing my uh, my Mark Seven over like caliber changes, so I just got another. I just got another one. Well, I got an ammo bot for the segment because it was cheap. The ammo bot, well, they had, they do like a, they do like a twenty percent off every year on like their, like their anniversary, and so you can get an ammo bot auto drive for pretty darn cheap, and I got a really cheap ten fifty, so it was like, well, I can't really turn that down. So the important thing to notice here is, is it be like Jeremy and marry for money? Yeah, <laughs> I want more hateful comments about Jeremy in the reviews. That's what I want. I love hateful comments about Jeremy, but even better if you make them about Jeff. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly surprised there haven't been more hateful comments about me on this podcast, but that's me too. Okay. It's almost like you're a likable was, guy yeah. and you say smart things. I think it's pretty tough to hate on you, sir. I think I'm ahead of you. I think I've got two hateful comments and you only have one. So, Jeremy, you really got to step up your uh, performance here. I'll see what I can, I'll see if I can turn up the hate. <laughs> yeah, you need to like try to translate some of that hate in the group text into the podcast. <laughs> That's not hate. That is that is all love, Jeff. That is all love. All right. Let's pinch it off. That was good. We got to hear about the book and discuss the review, which was a which was ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was funny. Joel, thank you for joining us and telling us about your new your and Ben's new book. I appreciate you guys having me. No, I like your It's Joel's new book. Joel's new book that you let Ben like he drew some of the pictures or put the numbers on the pages or something. I let him put his name on the book. Yeah. After I wrote it. I don't see Ben on the podcast. He's not (laughs) trying to boost his street cred. Yeah. He's not, he's not here repping the book. So it's Joel's book. If Ben Mm -hmm. wants, if Ben wants the credit, then he's got to come on the podcast and get credit for it. 
Are you going to do like an a uh, release signing? Uh, no. No? Oh. Because that, okay, that is not something that you should like frame and keep. That, that should be in your range bag getting ripped up, tore up, and, you know, like held, held together with duct tape because you use it and hopefully you're working out of it. But, but, but if somebody wants a handwritten note from Joel, like with encouragement, like on how to get better, like, you know, put in the front cover, can, is that available? Unfortunately, Amazon does not support that. No. So but here's what you do. You buy two copies, one for your range bag and you bring one to the match and have Joel sign it. Which match? Which match is Joel? Which match? Whatever match Joel's going to be at. Sit Joel down and have him sign books. I'm pretty sure Joel's on my squad at nationals. I think we're like squad like two eight, maybe two a seven. I don't know. Good, good. All right, find Joel at nationals. Have him sign. We will book. set up a table for Joel at nationals uh, for him to have a book signing there. That would go over great. I have no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> headquarters you know, will love having having a table full of Ben Stagger's books. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. A, if CZ sets up a booth, we could probably make a little space for him. Could have one of the marketing guys make like one of those little pop-up posters or a mm-hmm. banner. Yeah. I love this idea. This this, this needs good. to happen. I think this is the part where like Jeff says, all right, time to pinch this one off. And then you play the the recording of Sasquatch saying, stop recording. <laughs> I love that recording, by the way. That is so excellent. So I think we were on like episode 40 before I knew we were adding that. Yeah, Jared doesn't well, listen. Do- Normally, when you guys are like, I like, I listen to all your podcasts. When you're like wrapping up at the end, I'm like, oh, okay, they're done. Like, I'll do something else. But then I was busy. I let it go. And I'm like, what is this? I'm like, oh, that was gold. <laughs> so now I have to actually let it listen until it stops itself. Exactly. Exactly. Makes me laugh every time. All right. Sasquatch is the star. Let's pinch it off. Oh, stop recording, damn it.